Good morning, Christ Prez. Uh, fruit bearing, fruit bearing. That's the theme that Jesus addresses in our passage. And it's a theme really that strikes at the heart of some of our deepest longings. You know, we all long to be fruit bearing people. Everyone is looking for someone or something we can sink the roots of our lives down into that will bring real life and joy and meaning and love. We long to have this life of fullness and joy. And the question is, how does this happen? How does any life become a fruitful life? The answer that Jesus gives is remarkable. He says our fruitfulness and our flourishing is found only in and through intimate connection with him. So let's dig into this by looking at the plan for fruitfulness, the problem with fruitfulness, the power for fruitfulness, and then the process. Okay, so first the plan. Jesus wants to do something with us. He has an agenda, and it's that we bear fruit. Look at verse 16. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. See, Jesus is wholly committed to producing fruit in us. Everything he has done, his life, his death, his resurrection, they're all aimed at this purpose so that we would bear fruit, in, uh, that he would bear fruit in and through us. Look at uh, chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So, fruit bearing. That's important for Jesus. It's important to him that our lives bear fruit. Now, the fruit isn't just any fruit. You know, when we hear fruitfulness, we often think of productivity, getting stuff done. But the fruit Jesus is talking about is actually Christ-likeness. It's, it's growth in his own character. It's, it's the fruit of his love working in us. Like a proud parent who loves to see their kids shine, the father is glorified when his likeness is seen in us. It shows off his glory in the world. This is Jesus' vision for your life, that you would bear fruit. And I wonder, is it your vision for your life? You know, sometimes we kind of settle for lives that just aren't fruitful. We, we get used to being stagnant. We get pessimistic about ever actually changing. Well, Jesus' ambitions are so much greater than our own. He says, I am committed to your fruitfulness. He is committed to forming us into his likeness. He actually wants us to be more and more like him, people whose character reflects his own. And I wonder, do we take that seriously? Do we, do we believe it? Are our ambitions for our lives that great to actually bear the fragrant fruit of Jesus and resemble him before the world? This is Jesus' good plan for us, that our lives would bear fruit. But there's a problem. Uh, our capacities don't match our desire. You know, many of us desire to change. We desire to grow. We desire to become more like Jesus. But we recognize that we can't become the people we want to be. You know, there's an entire industry devoted to helping people overcome this gap between our desires and our capacity to actually change. You know, visit a bookstore um, or, you know, visit Amazon online and you can just see um, you know, thousands of self-help books on how you can change. You can overcome your bad habits. You can become a more fruitful, productive person. And there, ne nearly every 
one of these books focuses on mechanics, new habits, trying harder, thinking positive thoughts, developing better organizational methods, more efficient and effective techniques. The underlying assumption is often that we are um, actually sufficient to produce fruitful lives for ourselves. All it takes is uh, the right discipline applied in the right way. You know, maybe some new methods, maybe a change of attitude. This is kind of the American way. The, the message that says you can do anything. You have what it takes to become the person you want to be. You have the capacity in yourself to produce the kind of fruitful change you want to see. And Jesus says no. There's a serious problem with this popular view. He says, you do not have life and power within yourself. And in fact, you were never meant to. You were designed to find life only in God. In verse 5, he says, you are the branches. You think of a branch. It's not self-contained life. Its life is derivative. Its life depends entirely on being connected to something bigger than itself. And that's Jesus' point. He's saying, you only really have life when you're connected to me. So he says in verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, he's saying, you can't secure life on your own. You can't bring about real real fruit in your life on your own. Um, you do not have what it takes within yourself. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And I wonder, family, do we see this? Jesus is saying, the life you long for, the fruit you desire to see, the change you hope for, will never be found in yourself. Trying to produce the fruit you want to see in life through external behavior modification, new methods and mechanics, it's like expecting a stick severed from the tree and lying on the ground to start growing leaves in the spring. See, it just can't. It's dead. It's cut off from its life source. It has no life within itself. The life you were made for, and really the life you long for, will never be found in yourself. Do you see our profound need? I wonder, have we come to terms with our helplessness apart from Jesus? Well, if the plan is that God desires to see this ongoing, beautiful fruit production in us, but the problem is that we have no capacity in ourselves to produce it, what do we do? Where is the power to do it? Well, we've already been seeing it, but let's just say it explicitly now. It comes only through connection, intimate connection with Jesus Christ. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Jesus has come not to give us advice. Uh, we, we can't stack him in the self-help section with other sages of history. He's not come mainly to offer us an example. He's come to give us life, to graft us into his very self, to make his life our own. Let's unpack this metaphor of the vine a little bit. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, 
Remember the Bible's big story. You know, back in the beginning, the very beginning, God creates a garden, Eden. It's a place of wonder and beauty and delight. It was a place where God's purposes would be carried out and where the fruit of his love and grace would spread from the garden to the rest of the world. But because of sin, God's purposes for this garden were thwarted and human beings were exiled from this place of beauty. So what does God do? Does, does he scrap his garden plans? No, he makes a new garden. But this time it's not a place, it's a people. It's the community of Israel. Now through these people, God's purposes were to be carried out. His love and his grace were to be made known. His fruit was to spread through this new community. You know, throughout the Old Testament, Israel, the community Israel is likened to a vine. And so in Hosea, we read, Israel is a spreading vine who brought forth fruit for himself. In Psalm 80, we read, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and filled the land. It's a reference to the people of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 5, we read, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are the garden of his delight. You see, Israel was the new garden, the new Eden, where God's purposes would be done and his loving fruit would be made known. But remember, as you read through the Old Testament, you just see this time and time again that it never really works. That, that the community Israel fails to be this fruitful vine. In Isaiah, uh, we learn that the vineyard is unfruitful. It yielded only bad grapes. And so what does God do? He uproots the vineyard. God says, now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars, um, and thorns will grow there. See, Israel is exiled because of their idolatry and because of their unfruitfulness. So, Adam failed in Eden, and Israel also failed to be the new Eden, just as Adam had failed. But God's plan for fruitfulness doesn't stop. He cultivates a new shoot, a new seed, a new garden. And this time, the garden is not a place, and it's not a people, but a person a single person who will carry out God's purposes for the world. He is the one of whom it was said, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And now with all of that background in mind, Jesus stands up and he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Do you feel the weight of the claim? And do you hear the invitation? It's like he's saying, come to me and experience the garden. Come find true life. Come be a part of God's plan for the world being fulfilled. He's saying, I am the only place where you can find life, where you can ultimately be fruitful, where you will find your nourishment and life. See, what is Jesus offering? It's not advice. It's not techniques and methods. He's offering himself. He's offering personal union, participation in his very life. Think about a vine and a branch. You know, their lives are one and the same. The life of the vine just is the life of the branch. Jesus is saying, 
that can be true of us. My life can be your life. He's saying, make your home with me. He's saying, don't be a dead stick, stick with me. So often we turn Christianity into a project of cleaning ourselves up in the hopes that God will accept us. People outside the church often just assume that this is what Christianity is all about. You know, it's, it's one more call to produce fruit so that God will welcome us home. But you see, this has it exactly backwards. The branch doesn't get connected to the vine because it's fruitful. It's fruitful because it's connected. The invitation is for lifeless branches to find their home in the vine. It's for dead sticks to stick with Jesus and finally live. Jesus doesn't want to um, clean up your life so that you can be connected to him. He wants you to be connected to him so that you can actually have life and actually bear fruit. So, how does this work? I mean, last, let's look at this process. What does it actually mean for us to abide in the vine? How do we make our home with Jesus? How do, how do we foster this vital connection to Jesus that is the key to all personal change and joy? Well, on one level, this connection is just a given reality. It's a gift of God's grace. Jesus says, you are the branches. He says, I am the vine. See, in a way, the work is done. Jesus has done everything necessary to bring you to himself. He has lived for you. He's died for you. He's been raised from the dead for you. Um, he has reconciled you to God. There's this deep security about being united to Jesus. The invitation is, is to abide in him as he already abides in us. But at the same time, this involves activity and attention and intentionality on our part. Jesus says, abide in me, remain in me. That means receive what is already true, remain in the vine, continue to draw from this vital, intimate connection with Jesus, and foster and nurture this connection every day. So the question is, how do we do that? Well, I imagine there are all kinds of ways to make our home with Jesus. But I want to just briefly touch on three things that our passage suggests. Um, first, there's an invitation here to intimacy. You know, Jesus speaks of his friendship with us. He speaks of love. Jesus is speaking of the importance of an ongoing relationship of loving friendship with him. You know, in all the major religions, what the founder of the religion leaves us is his thoughts typically in the form of a book. So in Islam, we have the Quran. Hinduism, we have the Bhagavad Gita. In, in Buddhism, we have the sutras. Well, Jesus doesn't leave us a book. He leaves us himself. You know, that's the promise of these chapters in John. Jesus says, I'm leaving you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will come and teach you all things and remain with you. See, Jesus leaves us himself through his spirit. And so we don't have an intellectual connection with a tremendous but dead mind. We're given a personal relational connection with a living Lord. Jesus is promising us nothing less than himself, his friendship, his love. And so how do you foster a friendship? 
How do you foster a good friendship? Well, do that with Jesus. Treat Jesus like a good friend. You know, sometimes we confuse doing things for Jesus with actually knowing and being with Jesus. I wonder, is Jesus dealing with you personally? Do you spend time with him? As you read his word, as you pray, do you sense him dealing personally with you? I mean, there's an invitation here to relational intimacy with Jesus Christ. Second, there's an invitation to trust, and, and specifically to trust the work of the gardener. Jesus talks about pruning here, and this isn't necessarily a happy image, or at least it, it isn't at first, because pruning is often so painful. It involves cutting back. It involves, um, or, or at least it often feels harmful and counterproductive. It doesn't feel like flourishing. It feels like things are being stripped away. It feels like it feels like diminishment. You know, sometimes all sorts of things that we thought uh, are really good are hacked off and thrown aside. But if you've ever pruned a plant before, you know that this is actually for the plant's good. This is for the purpose of new growth, new life. In a lot of ways, the whole year, 2020, this past year, has felt like a year of pruning for me in personal ways, in ways that have to do with the life of our congregation. Um, it has felt like a year of diminishment. Jesus says, every branch that bears fruit, the Father prunes. See, God is engaged in this same process of pruning with us. He uses everything. He withholds um, he withholds things. He, he, he brings things all for his purpose of pruning us and making us more like Jesus Christ, that we would bear more fruit for his glory. You see, we won't grow without pruning. When the pruning shears come into your life, and they will, when things that you wanted are taken, when dreams are never fulfilled, when troubles come, Sometimes it can look so pointless and it can look so meaningless and we often wonder, how could God let this happen? And Jesus is saying, trust the Father. He's saying, the pruning is not punishment. It's for our good. Can we entrust ourselves to the wise care of this gardener who alone knows what pruning, what sunshine or rain, what warmth or cold are needed to produce the fruit he wants to see in us? Can we trust that on the other side of pruning is fruitfulness and flourishing and life? Well, finally, uh, there's an invitation here to obey. Jesus says this quite starkly. He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Obedience. Jesus says, ultimately, the true test of our love for Jesus is whether we actually keep his commandments, whether or not we obey him. And so what is he asking us to do? Well, we, we actually don't have to guess about it. He just tells us in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. 
He doesn't ask us to be right. He doesn't ask us to defend ourselves or him. He doesn't ask us to prove our points on social media. He asks us to love people as he has loved us. The one law that we are called to obey is none other than the law of love. Our love is shown by obedience and our obedience is shown by love and only by love. I wonder how is Jesus calling you to love others today? If you do it, if you keep the commandment to love, you're actually making your home with Jesus Christ. You might be a stick, but you're sticking with him. Well, there are other ways to make our home with Jesus, I'm sure, to abide in him. At least one of them is right here at this table with the bread and the cup. Jesus said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Whoever shares this meal, in other words, uh, makes their home with Jesus Christ. And so we remember, family, that the one who calls us to love is the one who has already loved us supremely by laying down his life for us. He's the one who would rather lose his life than lose us. He invites you to come and to meet with him again. He invites you to stop living for him and to start living from him that your joy may be full. Believe the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.